Lord, whether we're in pleasant pastures or dark valleys of the shadow of death, may we know your presence and may you use the words of the scripture and my words this morning to encourage and give us hope. Amen. (coughs) It's good to be uh, back with you again. Um, I don't live all that far away. I actually walked to church this morning, so I'm, I'm a local. Uh, the Psalms can echo many moods for us. They are a prayer book for us. They're a hymn book for us. In their praise and in their lament. In their joyfulness and in their darker moods as well. I once blithely wrote an essay for the Old Testament scholar John Goldingay, and I wrote, there is praise in every psalm. Uh, He sent me back a list where there's not. (laughs) Or at least those psalms that don't have a positive note in them. But Psalm 23, it's lifted all of us up at one time or another, hasn't it? Um, It's encouraged us in our valleys of darkness In its traditional words, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. It doesn't mean we don't want God, uh, but of course the modern translations help us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. It means that we shall never truly be in need if we know God. But let's be honest, there's an experience gap here. There are many times... When we do feel very needy, even if we pray to God and even if we're sitting in church. And some of our life experiences find us in a very dark place where God feels distant. Some of us are prone to quite despairing moods. When, when God's presence it seems so hard to sense or trusting in God is really hard. This psalm is a declaration of faith in green pastures and within the dark valleys. The paths of righteousness that God leads us in in verse 3 might actually include the valleys of darkness as well, And if we look at Jesus' life, we see some of the valleys of darkness he went through for our sake. So how could we say that the Christian life is ever one step, uh, ever one sort of upward curve? It, it has its valleys in it as well. As we said earlier on in the service, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And... Mental health issues is something that they say affects one in four of us at some time or other in our life. One dark December day in the 1980s, a young student fell to her death from the top of Snowdon. She'd been walking with a group of friends. She was nearly at the top on the walking path and she slipped and fell, and her friends climbed down some hundreds of feet to find her body. On December the 19th, the Daily Mail reported it badly. The Sun, for once, got closer to the truth on page five. It at least spelt my name right. 
because I was one of the group of friends. She was a close friend of mine, and we were up there walking just before Christmas with a group of university or ex-university friends, um, as we'd done many times in the snow, but she fell to her death. Now, it was, it was a very long time ago, and I don't think about it all that often these days, but just, just occasionally I know that I have to tell the story if I think it might help others. Because within a year, I descended into very deep depression and uh, was treated by psychiatrists and was on medication for some years. It's, it's a moot point when I look back, was that uh, to do with her death and what I'd been through? Was it uh, bereavement? Was it some acid reduction tablets that I'd been on that one psychiatrist suggested that I'd reacted against? Was it a diocesan youth event that I'd led, which... I don't mean that that depressed everybody, uh, but I found it really stressful because I was working right out, of my, right out of my comfort zone, hosting a huge event in Ripon Cathedral, and it went quite badly, and I, I didn't sleep for some while, and it was within days of that I'd gone down with depression. Um, but certainly, when I hit bottom, then the experience of that year came back, and I, I relived it, and I couldn't. I couldn't get out of the, 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 the sort of pit of, of, of self-pity and, and many other things that come with bereavement. For a time I went to church. Um, I was the curate. <laughs> I had to. Um, but there were times that people said to me, actually, I don't think you ought to be here, certainly in the early stages. And then I did have to take uh, a couple of periods of time off. There were times when I, when I couldn't sing and I couldn't pray and I was only in church because I felt that that helped in some small way but it was other people's singing and other people's prayers that held me up. Uh, at one time I, I couldn't go out of the house at all. I didn't, I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to meet people. I, I really hated crowds for a while. And as, as Maureen said, the despair of early mornings and not wanting the day to start was a symptom for me and for many people who have depression, just lying there, just not, you know, till mid-morning lunchtime maybe, just thinking, actually, I want the day to go away, and never thinking that I could be happy again, never thinking that I could I could find joy again. Uh, decisions were really difficult. I, I can remember standing in front of a kettle trying to decide whether I wanted tea or coffee. And I hate coffee. So, you know, it's just I couldn't do the simple household tasks uh, that, that make for life going on. I remember trying to choose a coat in Leeds City Centre and just... The choice, the cho- too many choices. I, so I, I began to hate shopping. Well, I don't like shopping much anyway, but I mean, I hate the, the amount of choices that there were. So I couldn't make decisions easily. And I've always been interested in current affairs. I listened to the news from beginning to end, but I couldn't. Anything that was slightly negative from around the world, I used to feel the pain of the latest famine or, 
or the latest atrocity or negative uh, news. I'd, I felt a huge calling uh, to the inner city. I spent the first 10 or 12 years of my ministry in inner city parishes. But it got right under my skin, so the negativity of that area, the vandalized garages and the litter and the run-down houses just distressed me enormously. Uh, and I, as I said, I couldn't go out of the house. I was treated by um, psychiatrists at Jimmy's Hospital in Leeds, St. James's Hospital, and I, I lived in a very depressing block of flats as a curate over, overlooking that hospital. So I was going into the hospital that I'd, I'd watched for a, a year or more, and alongside young men in the Bible study group that I used to lead, who themselves were long-term uh, psychiatric patients and long-term unemployed. John, they'd say as they saw me in the psychiatrist waiting room, and I just wanted to die and, and, and disappear. The psychiatrist used to say to me, he said to me once, you know, if it wasn't for your churches, uh, our wards would be so much fuller. And he really gave credit to the support that Christians gave to people that were struggling with mental health. Um, I went to stay for several months with my bishop's support at a community called Post Green in Devon. Uh, oldies who know uh, Sounds of Living Waters, Fresh Sounds, Cry Hosanna, the Fisher Folk songs uh, that came out of that community and uh, in the early days of the charismatic movement. And um, that became a very healing community with a lot of support for people who are disabled and people who had mental health problems. Uh, it's, it's not there now, I believe. But um, so I went, and so I was, I, you know, I was in daily prayer with that community. I was helped by some of the counsellors in that community, and uh, that hurricane that they forgot to forecast in the late 80s that had, had knocked a lot of the trees down at Post Green. So I was on the garden team. So I chopped down trees and cleared broken branches and. I honestly thought I would never preach again. I thought that was... Someone said hallelujah at the back there. I, just heard, I, I, I honestly thought I was never going to preach again. And that I was going to be a lumberjack. I thought, a lumberjack, that's what I'm going to do. I, there's a song, isn't there? I, I won't sing it. Um, I couldn't pray for a while. Um, my vicar said to me, say a psalm a day. And that actually has, has helped me in very good stead in my ministry. Say a psalm a day, and some days I used to meet with him and he would say the psalm for me. Um, and the lamenting ones were always the best. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm down in the pit. When I eventually came out of it all two or three years Later, I, I was still on antidepressants when I met my wife, Marianne. I could look back and I could just about say through gritted teeth, Lord, you took me through that. You give and you take away. The words from the Old Testament that are used in many funerals and that Matt and Beth Redman use in that song, which we happen to have at the beginning of today, you give and you take away, just accepting that whatever the Lord gives us, he sometimes takes away from us, and that life, life is hard at times. You were with me, Lord, through the valley 
as much as you were beside, you were with me through the dark valley of death as much as you were by the still waters. And this Psalm 23 is one of those uplifting psalms that, that mixes praise and lament. It, it acknowledges that God can be with us in the really dark places, the valley of the shadow of death. And it gives us faith to trust that God is there, even though he feels very far away. And, and in the end, I came through with a much stronger understanding of God who suffered for us and that God is there when we don't see him and when we don't feel him. He is a suffering God. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He went through for us the agonies, the psychological turmoil of Gethsemane. Uh, Holy Week became more important to me. He went through with the cross. He went into the grave and he suffered for us. But there was resurrection in the end. I also came to value some of the verses in Romans 8, which is worth a read this week. It's, it's very deep. But Romans 8 and the middle part of that chapter uh, Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. There's frustrating things about creation, about the world we live in. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption. So there's a sense that we are in the in-between times, the groaning times, the waiting for God's glories to be revealed. And we see some signs of it, but it won't come in all its fullness and we won't all be fully healed until we reach the the kingdom of heaven and the spirit is given for the in-between times. And it says, verse 26, in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, we do know what not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And I, I, I have been in the sort of strands of church which really emphasize the work of the Spirit. And I then, in the Spirit and healing, and I believe in miraculous healing. I believe in healing prayer. I've, I've seen great answers to people's prayers for healing but also that the Spirit groans with us in that waiting time when we're not healed. That the Spirit is gradually taking us step by step towards the glories of God, but we're not all there yet. Um, Heaven became so much more real to me. And, And the goal of heaven where God will one day lay a table of delights before us, as it says in Psalm 23. And in Revelation 21, where he will wipe away the tears from our eyes and we will be perfectly healed in body, mind and spirit. Until that time, the spirit groans with us and groans with us when we can't pray. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
you see that hope in some of the worship of the church. And that is what lifts my eyes. I couldn't sing those songs at that time, but I'd gradually be able to sing them again. Songs like black gospel songs about uh, sitting in such injustice. Some of the communities of the states where gospel songs came from and eventually headed off into rock and roll. But th- those early songs that were songs of injustice, but they so often sung about heaven as the place of glory where they would one day be, that lifted out, them out of their current reality and gave them a glimpse of what was waiting. You too, fans, will see the same things. I said this at something else years ago when I was preaching here. You too songs quite often Im- uh, imbued with a sense of heaven while grappling with injustice or sadness now. Songs like 10,000 Reasons, which has become really popular across all streams of the church at the moment, from Roman Catholic through to Pentecostal, because of, I think because of great hope there of heaven and the glories we will one day find. So a number of things that then helped me in a time of depression, and then a number of things that might, you might be able to offer others. The Psalms I've already mentioned in their lament and in their praise. Um, I'm not from the particularly ritualistic end of the Church of England, as you might have guessed, but actually the liturgy of the Church of England was a great help to me in my prayer as I pulled out of depression because it actually offered to me a structure when I couldn't find my own words and the collects and the prayers and the daily prayers are gradually created from that structure. Um, Did you know you can now get daily prayer for the Church of England on an app on your phone or your iPad or or your, your tablet or whatever that gives you a diet to follow readings and prayers and liturgies if you want to use them, which I found a great benefit back in the pre-computer days, but I do now as well. And services like Evensong at the Cathedral, which I'm now in Cathedral Chapter, but I, I wouldn't traditionally have found Evensong very helpful, which the choir seems to all do for you uh, if you go to a cathedral. But actually, when I was at my lowest, to have worship that took me and did the work for me was, was so very helpful. And communion. It says in Psalm 23, verse 5, you will lay a table before my enemies, which I, I think looks prophetically forward to communion. The table that is laid before us today is a reminder of the feast that we will one day share in heaven with God at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the physicality of the bread and the wine, the physical symbols were a great help to me when I couldn't pray in other ways. Prayer actually became far less wordy for me. And the evangelical, very wordy prayer meetings that I'd grown up on I walked away from for a while and actually found silence in prayer uh, far more helpful. Just sitting with a simple meditation before God and maybe a few scriptural verses. I think anointing is also 
very helpful uh, for people who are perhaps suffering from mental illness. I don't think that everyone values particularly long prayers, but that but the symbol, again, the symbolic anointing and the feel, the touch that somebody cares for you and the sign of the cross uh, can be very important. No promises that this is immediate healing, but this is part of the step-by-step recovery and a sign of God's eventual future for you. And it helps you to feel that others care. For those of you who might want to offer help to others who are suffering with mental illness, Maureen gave some great pointers early on. A hand on the shoulder, a smile, a word, a a promise to pray for people. (coughs) Little things are very important. And I so much rested on the prayers of others. I so much felt sustained when I couldn't pray knowing that others were praying for me and close friends who gave me time uh, were really valued Uh, another curate called Colin who eventually became my best man I used to go around to his house and just collapse on his settee for an hour or two while he was just there writing a sermon or doing whatever curates do um, and, um, and actually, in his case, cleaning cars, because he used to be a car salesman, and he found that very th- therapeutic. But that, no, that's another story. I used to watch him polish cars. Um, uh, just to be with someone, uh, for however much time I wanted, someone times I would just turn around and go home, uh, was very important. And something that you can offer, that every Christian can offer to another Christian, every Christian can offer to another Christian, is to listen to them. Not offer them solutions, but spend time with someone just listening. Coming through mental illness is quite often a long haul, and we need to be prepared to stick with people. Um, we're offering this morning both uh, anointing with oil and laying on of hands. And that can be for yourself or it can be for another person. It can be take that anointing or that prayer to someone who's not here and tell them that at some time, a right moment, uh, that you were really offering prayer for them. If, if I had choice... If I had choice, I wouldn't go to that school. I'd much rather not have learnt this lesson. Not that valley, Lord. Not again. And, and God has gracefully prevented me from, from falling to those depths again. But it was a period of my life that taught me a lot and it helps me Prave and harder for those who have it as an ongoing experience, for those who it's not just a two or three year journey, but a much longer one. But I hope that out of my words has come at least some hope that I found in the Psalms and other parts of the scripture, and I offer to you. There is hope. There is green pastures after the valley of the shadow of death. And the real you is still there. 
The real you is still there under the, 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 the blankets of greyness. The real you is a child of God and is loved by God and is valued and has got great gifts to give to the world that God created and made. He still delights in you and you will stand tall again one day. Meanwhile, Jesus is with you and the good shepherd is with you with his rod and his staff to comfort you even though it doesn't feel like it today. Amen.